Good morning and welcome to the latest episode of the new PNL. I'm Paul, host of the new PNL, and I'm very grateful you've taken the time to join us today. We believe business needs a new PNL, one that is as much focused on principles and leadership as it is on profit and loss. Because we know if your principles are right and aligned with your purpose, and your leadership has a clear vision and focus and strength and empathy, then your business will be in profit and not loss in so many ways. Today's guest is the brilliant Greg Merrill, Senior Director of Digital Transformation at Nike. Greg has built his expertise at the epicenter of strategy, technology, innovation, and sport. He is passionate about the power of diverse and empowered teams, leveraging modern technology and data in innovative ways to fuel exponential growth and competitive advantage. In his role leading Nike's digital transformation, Greg is responsible for driving the most critical cross-functional strategic initiatives that power growth and transformation across the enterprise. Overseen initiatives spanning from product creation to planning and supply chain to front-end consumer and marketplace experiences, Greg has a wide view and influence right across the enterprise. So Greg, a hugely warm welcome to the new PNL. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, thank you. I'm, uh, I'm honored and uh, delighted to, to join you today. It's our pleasure. Um, perhaps if we start the conversation with you giving listeners a quick introduction to who you are, what you do, and who you do it for. Absolutely. And, and Paul, before I even do that, I just want to say that, you know, this space that you've created for yourself, um, you know, with the new PNL podcast is, I think, so wonderful and exciting. And I'm hopeful that it continues to grow, Thank frankly. You. And as I think you'll see during, you know, during our chat today, my mind continually races back to the greatest connection point that we all have with one another, our humanity, yes. right? And so, um, and clearly with PNL, you're injecting that humanity back into um, to many different conversations. And so I feel right at home here. I love what you're doing. Thank you for the invite and thank you for fighting the good fight. So really kind words to start. Thank you so much, Greg. Thank you. Super. So in, in terms of my background, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it brief. Um, but, um, you know, I grew up in a military family. I had the opportunity to do quite a bit of traveling, which I think plays heavily into, you know, my deep uh, appreciation and love for diversity, different people, different cultures. Um, and, and so that was kind of instilled in me very early on. Uh, I spent my early teenage years then in, in Southern Spain, which was, which was fantastic and got to do a lot of traveling in uh, Northern Africa and Europe. And, um, and then after Spain came back and landed in the DC, Maryland, Virginia area, Area I finished out, you know, high school and then and and did, did my college there. Um, I studied kinesiology for my undergrad and then mm -hmm. later went on to uh, to do my MBA at Johns Hopkins. After grad school, found myself, you know, in the right place at the right time, which I think is, you know, how all great stories begin. Uh, you know, a stroke of luck and. Um, so anyway, and, and found myself with a group of guys, and over the course of essentially the next decade or so, we um, we built and and launched you know three separate companies, and so you know I mentioned that because that sort of entrepreneurial chapter for me has rolled into me now joining Nike, where I've been for mm -hmm. for essentially the last six years, 
Um, and so I get to bring the, the entrepreneurial and now the intrapreneurial side going after similar things with very, very different, um, you know, resources and challenges. And so I think all in, I've spent the majority of my career in the kind of innovation partnerships and transformation space. Mm -hmm. uh, and in my current role, I'm, you know, responsible for leading Nike's digital transformation. So Digital transformation today, it's a term that over the last five years has become, at least in my view, more ambiguous as it has become more ubiquitous. Everyone's talking about it, but there are just about as many definitions as there are conversations around it. So to help set the context for today, how do you define digital transformation in a business context? Yeah, so you know, I've had the uh, opportunity to come at this, come at digital transformation from, from multiple angles and multiple lenses. And the reality is that digital transformation will mean different things to different companies and organizations at different points in time, and that's okay. Uh, in fact, I would say that's essential to their success. Mm -hmm. There is no one size fits all. And you know, during the majority of my experience in what we'll call this digital transformation space, I have defined it as essentially a subset of an organization or a company's priorities that must be aligned to their higher level strategy. And these, these priorities, projects, programs, initiatives, you know, when they are mature and accelerated, allow the company to operate in many cases in a more data-informed, automated, intelligent manner to mm -hmm. grow the business, yeah. right? And, and so said more simply, it's, a, it's, I think, a group or a collection of a company's most urgent, complex, and in many cases, immature capabilities that have an increased or an outsized impact on the current and future success of that business. You know, and, and I think for me in my day-to-day -day now, you know, at Nike, it's well known that kind of Nike's highest level strategy is this massive shift towards a digital and direct-led business. Um, and, and this means having closer connections and relationships directly with our consumers and members and being able to serve them personally at scale. So naturally within you know, that kind of day-to-day, -day, uh, naturally we're focusing on accelerating capabilities that tie directly to that kind of strategic shift, I would say. So that, that's a... Fantastic definition. And I guess coming from a marketing background, as I have over many, many years, I'm always, I always cast a, a deeper eye across some of the business definitions that we have in our lexicon as we, as we grow in a business world. And digital transformation, I've always wondered whether it's truly transformational. And you've talked about acceleration there as an example, but whether it's transformational, whether it's rather evolutionary, and we've kind of overhyped the phrase, if you like, you know, we've had desktop publishing in the 80s, that was digital transformation, the email we had in the 90s, the early 2000s, the explosion of the, the internet and so on. So it feels to me sometimes like the, the hype around it at the moment is a bit like the emperor's new clothes. And really, we're just witnessing a, the latest step in a continual evolution of business and the way it operates, the way it gets closer to customers. I wondered whether what your views were on that. Yeah, so I think the reality is we are 
we're seeing we're seeing both. We're seeing kind of incremental step changes, and we're seeing massive disruptive transformation. Mm -hmm. And you can look at that across kind of individual companies or industries, or you know, even even kind of more broadly, when you think about things like Industry 4.0, that impacts a wide range of both companies, groups, industries, organizations. And so, you know, I'll, I'll maybe explain it this way. I look at almost everything in life on a spectrum, right? There's this concept of duality and transformation. If we take the digital off for a second, transformation has a mighty spectrum. And so on one set, one end, we're starting to see some of the smaller players in established industries. Think maybe like a local neighborhood credit union, right? That maybe didn't have a website, didn't have an app, you know? Um, and we're starting to see now, I would say some incremental innovation programs on one end of the spectrum. While on the far end, we're seeing kind of, like I said, massive disruptive changes to entire industries. Automotive is a great example there, uh, where we're seeing this massive transformation across all their vectors, right? Everything that goes into it. Think about all the, the ancillary, to, in the automotive example, auto insurance, right? Auto financing, right? So there's so a, a, a wide spectrum there. And I, I think the last thing I would say on this, like, what are we actually seeing now? You know, we're seeing different flavors of technology-fueled transformation over the last few decades. And I think one of the big things there, as you mentioned a couple of these examples through the decades, is they were focused on things, right? Mm -hmm. Software and hardware. And my, it's my hope that the big difference this time is that we're focused on people. Yeah. And ultimately, any work, any transformation that we set out to accomplish is anchored in people, process, and tools, right? Maybe an oversimplification, but for, for, for today, if we look at it across those three vectors, today, there's a tremendous number of tools and technologies and solutions available to the market. You can go out and get whatever you need. Uh, and process, meaning sort of like workflow or ways of working or engagement, you know, methodology, those will constantly be in flux. And I think that's, that's just, that's needed. But the people will either build or buy the tools that we need. They'll establish the processes that, that we need. So you quickly see, you know, the people is actually, if you can focus on one thing, that's where you focus because that's going to be, you know, critical to the overall success. And so that's why I've dedicated, you know, the, my focus to this beautiful, complex and messy condition of humanity, you know, that we all wrestle with and particular in my day job, you know, that, you know, that effect on the success of transformations. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's my biggest hope here is that we collectively focus there. That's, that's what I think we've missed out on. Uh, the previous decades. So how do we cultivate the right mindset in a, in a business that is perhaps resistant to the scale of change needed to digitally transform? You've talked about massive disruptive change in some industries, and you're absolutely right. The perception of massive disruptive change is it has the consequence in some cases of disenfranchising or disempowering the very people that you perhaps need to bring along in that journey within an organization. 
how do you cultivate the right mindset to to ensure that that transition or that transformation at whatever scale it is is ultimately a success for the people as you suggest yeah <clears throat> you know it, it's it's another great question and <clears throat> when you look back historically when when did massive transformations start you know what was the spark what was the uh, what was the driving force behind that change? I think in most cases the mindset required, I would say, to embark on and complete a multi-year transformational effort will only come when disaster has arrived or there is impending doom, mm -hmm. and um, so, so there has to be a strong impetus and motivation to change. Otherwise, I think we'll find ourselves stuck in this if it ain't broke, don't fix it mentality. And that, that's very real, right? I mean, as human beings, we are naturally resistant to change. I mean, yeah. There's got to be a strong force there to, uh, to, to spark that change. And so without that kind of spark, it will be an uphill battle the entire way of trying to convince others why change is so critical right now. Um, you know, and one of the things, one of the interesting things that I'm sure, you know, you've talked about with other guests is, you know, through the pandemic, remote work, obviously, um, and w ultimately where employees want to do their work. I think a lot of, you know, corporate employees are still in a remote setting, maybe in a hybrid setting, depending. But, you know, for us right now, I'm, I'm still working remote. You know, I'm working from home. And so, it'll be interesting to see because it will play such a huge role in the overall success of transformation, transformational initiatives, you know, specifically because the culture, cultural element is so mm -hmm. important there. And I know we, we talked a little bit about, it. I'm sure we're going to talk about it more, but, you know, many companies I would say are right now facing this cultural shift, you know, what used to be their company culture, two years ago will not be the cult, you know, the culture going forward. Yeah. And so the policies and decisions that a company makes today through this, through this pandemic will impact them for years to come. And I think that is directly tied to any large transformational initiatives or efforts that they try to, to, to undertake. Yeah. So at the front end of that answer, you talked about much of the significant change technological change, societal change comes from a, a place of disaster or doom or some of those other great catastrophes that are, that are forced upon us and force that reevaluation. So I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into that and I guess get your view on what your feeling is on whether most digital transformation projects start from a place of fear or from one of opportunity. And if it is the first or the second, how does that affect the digital transformation strategy and the implementation? Yeah, so, um, you know, with this, I, I, it kind of brings me back to that, my view of the universe is in spectrums, right? And so maybe with this one, with this question, the bookend is, you know, the house is on fire, we must react to the other side is, well, let's make sure the house doesn't catch on fire. Let's be yes. proactive. So reactive and proactive. And, and I think that every organization needs just enough crisis and motivation to kind of get off their butts and actually commit, you know, financially operational to transformation 
while also starting early enough so that the problem doesn't become insurmountable. Um, and, uh, you know, acknowledging that along the way, we all have so many competing priorities, it's hard to know when to act. So I don't have a perfect answer here, but I think if you know anything about me, I always have more questions than I have answers. But, you know, I am by nature a deeply analytical thinker and planner. And my, my go-to is to think ahead and plan ahead and build from a place of strength, right? Operate from a place of strength, embark on transformation from a place of strength, because it takes a very special and unique company, and one that I frankly have not seen uh, do very well, to excel when you're operating from a point of defensiveness. Mm -hmm. That reactivity, you're never going to be as strong as, as if you operate from a place of proactiveness. So the world operates in that spectrum. Um, I don't know where the right balance is. It will be different for every company. Um, but I, I lean towards proactivity. And I think that's where success typically comes is more on that side of the spectrum. Do you think some CEOs and senior management team leaders sort of believe strong technical innovation, whether that's digital transformation or, or otherwise? Do you think there's a belief in some quarters that it solves all problems when in fact technology has no agency in itself it still needs to be strategically driven and implemented effectively by leaders and teams that have a genuinely clear vision of where it fits into the business and where it fits into the future do you think there's too much leaning on technology to solve problems where in fact it's just a facilitator of change not the strategic implementer of change yeah it's so I think that's a really insightful question. And ultimately, when we think about the people side, I think success comes from having strong sponsorship and advocacy from a company's leadership, mm -hmm. while also being able to influence and organic, organically rally the troops, rally the masses around your vision. And I think you need to have both. And I think your question here kind of gets at that first aspect of, you know, um, do we have, it's more than just sponsorship and saying, yeah, I support you. It's advocacy, right? Yes, it's like yes. skin in the game, putting their neck on the line. And that's, you know, that's tricky to come by, right? I, I'll be honest, when you look at the, um, the motivation and the compensation structures in place at many big companies, many times that runs in direct conflict with taking big risks like this. And so, yeah. You know, to answer your question specifically, I think leaders know that it's more than just technology that will drive the, the success of their transformation. Um, I think these leaders acknowledge and understand kind of the people side of it and why that is just as important. What I, what I don't think is known and understood is what to do with that, yes. right? You know, look, great. Okay, we understand it. We acknowledge it. Now what? Now what do we do with that? And the last thing I'll say on that is, you know, I think where we are in the history of humanity is the data and the science and the research available about us as human beings, right? Our, 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 our psychology and our emotions and the behaviors and why we do things that we do. I think that kind of science and research continues to develop you know, week after week and month after month, and we continue to learn more. But I don't think that it's reached a place where we, we can actually take those learnings and apply them 
to something like a, a big company's transformational efforts. And so we're a little bit at this pivot point where we kind of, we know what we don't know, but we don't know enough about the answer to be able to apply it yeah. to, um, to the collective su success there. So that raises another question for me and, and so much around the digital transformation process is talking around, we need to find new ways to work for a new world of work. We need to ensure that that any given business is ready for the fourth industrial revolution. And one thing that always I come back to when in my thinking around this is how do you, as a business or a leader, how do you continually demonstrate that a digital transformation project, whatever that looks like, sustains cultural and commercial value for a business over time once it becomes the way of working rather than the new way of working. So we've digitally transformed, we've got a new way of working, six months, 12 months down the track, that is just the way of working. How do we continue to demonstrate the commercial value? How do we adjust the assessment to the metrics over time? Yeah, there's a couple, <clears throat> there's, so there's a couple pieces to that. I think we talk about um, cultural value, um, always should be tied to overall employee well-being and satisfaction, mm -hmm. right? And, and, um, and how do we, how do we know, how do we know that, right? Because again, I told you already, I believe people are the strongest, you know, determining factor of the overall success of, of a massive transformation. Um, the people part is so, so, so important. And we got to know where are people, what's the overall well-being, because that ties directly to the culture, right? And so how do we know what overall employee well-being uh, and, and satisfaction is? Well, we've got to ask them, right? <laughs> this is not some quantif, you know, uh, deeply or easily uh, quantified metric. Yes. It's so subjective. We are all, like I said, beautiful, complex, messy human beings. And we all have different experiences and perspectives and emotions and assumptions that, that, that drive our behavior. And so we've, we've got to ask them. And I think, you know, in many companies and, um, you know, conducting employee surveys is a, is a very common practice. Uh, and that, I think, would shine the light on the information there. Now, I think it's, it's equally important once you know that overall employee well-being and satisfaction, once you know the outcome, do something about it, change something about yes. it, right? Act yeah. on it. And as I mentioned, you know, here we are the last week of, of August, 2021, and Nike has made an incredible decision. Uh, I, I think it's the first time in, in history to shut down the entire company globally for a wellness week. So, yeah. I mean, kudos to, to Nike for hearing our people like, hey, the pandemic has made it really hard. People are navigating new and, and, and difficult situations um, and Nike said, let's do something about that. Our, our, our folks need more rest and recovery. Let's, let's, let's enable that. And so they made an, a, a phenomenal decision, you know, impacting, I think the 75,000, you know, global company, uh, employees of the company to go take a week off and, um, be with your family. So, wow. yeah. What are the signs that a digital transformation program is failing? Now, how do we... How do we analyze and assess early to mid phase before it gets too ingrained that actually this, and it could come back to the point I made before, you know, whether we start from a strategic position of 
fear or a strategic position of opportunity, but how do we identify early in the project or the program that this is not going the way it needs to go? Yeah, I think ultimately <clears throat> you've got to look at behavior, right? Because like I mentioned earlier, tools and processes are you know, built and run by people. And so uh, if, if behavior doesn't change, that's a problem. That's, that, mm -hmm. will, that will directly impede your success. I think also when you, uh, and every transformation initiative should have both quantitative and qualitative measures of success. Um, I think a very simply, simple one is if those metrics aren't changing at the rate you thought they would or you said they would, that could be a sign that there's you know, failure um, uh, happening or coming. And along those lines, I think it's, a, it's always a good discipline and practice to continuously benchmark you know, this constant self-assessment and self-awareness of um, where we are uh, mm -hmm. versus where we used to be versus where we said we're going to be, you know, and I think we've got to be real with, with ourselves, with our opportunities for improvement and, and how are we doing addressing them? How do we rank ourselves against, you know, best in class in the industry? And how do we rank ourselves again, like I said, against ourselves, a, a previous version of ourselves? Um, the last thing I'll say is on this kind of concept of, of failing is, and this is a very, very simple one, but I, I'll mention it anyway, but people vote with their feet in a very quick and easy way to tell if folks believe in your vision mm -hmm. um, and are willing to support you is are they showing up to your meetings, right? <laughs> such a, such a simple and so such yet effective measure of sort of, you know, am I able to build the support needed to truly take this journey forward mm -hmm. um, or, or is something off? Is there some failure um, that, that we're, that we're dealing with. Um, and so if people don't show up to your meetings, uh, that's not a good sign. <laughs> I wanted to um, just dig a little bit deeper into one of, the, and one of the answers you gave there. You talked about looking at the metrics and seeing whether those metrics are in line with your expectations as you work through the project. I guess to take one step back, who questions the assumptions upon which those metrics are set? You know, before you enter into as a as a management team or a leadership team or a board, and you set those expectations for the successful delivery of that digital transformation project and what success will look like, what should a board or a leadership team do to ensure that the expectations they're setting are actually realistic before they engage the project? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, <clears throat> I think it you know, expectations and appetite need to be aligned, right? Because, and I think, you know, I'll speak kind of from my, from my daily experience here, Nike's culture is, is, is hyper-competitive. We, we have done some incredible things over the years and we believe we can continue doing great things. And so I would say uh, on the appetite side, there is a very healthy appetite for taking on very difficult tasks. Yeah. And I think to your question, K 
Can we sustain that appetite? And in fact, can we align uh, the collective organization, our resources, our priorities, our time around that appetite? And I think that's the, that's the trickier thing because with so much change happening so quickly all the time, we are constantly faced with, you know, what I'll call kind of shiny metal object, right? Like chasing the next best thing and maybe not finishing a multi-year uh, complex initiative that we've, we've agreed to, we've set out on and really requires all of us to rally around it to, to, to bring it to fruition. And so um, I think, you know, it's a constant balance. It's a constant struggle. Um, I also, my style is I, I tend to over-communicate because I think the more people know along the way, um, there's no surprise. There's no gotcha. Everybody's fully informed along the way. And I think, you know, there's a balance between being overly transparent and inducing essentially like a whiplash effect where, you know, tell people as, as much as they need to know, but not so much that you're extra noise in the system. Uh, and again, on that spectrum of over-communicating to under-communicating, I, I rev hard on the over-communicate. And I just, I look at, you know, I, I personally, I, I, I live in the silver lining of life. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I always see the best in situations and people. And I just trust that we are all um, able to handle information and deal with it and, and, and work with it. And having that information, um, the benefit outweighs the, the potential concerns about being noise in the system, I would say. One of the, the reoccurring conversations I have with many people, particularly from the tech world and on the new PL, is the challenge that innovation labs and innovation teams have in retaining enough freedom to, th to think freely and to develop their product with the independence that's needed, but also ensuring that they're connected enough to the corporate vision to retain widespread buy-in for it. And I wondered whether the digital transformation team probably faces similar challenges. And I wondered from your perspective, how do you ensure the freedom of thinking that is needed to deliver this project, but also that you're connected enough to retain that buy-in for it? Yeah, <clears throat> it, Paul, it's a great question. And uh, it brings us right back to the spectrums. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the freedom uh, versus kind of deep integration. And where, in my experience, where I've seen more success, and it's all nuance, right? It depends on the company, the culture, how mature they are, right? But, uh, you know, in my time, you know, again, as a decade in the startup space and, and, and you know, now kind of working at a larger company, um, I lean on more integrated. Mm -hmm. And in some cases that will require a cultural shift within a company. Now, um, where I am today with Nike, you know, Nike's company culture is one of innovation and empowerment and go out and, and innovation is everybody's job, right? It's not, hey, you're the innovation team, you go do this, you go do that. Um, everybody is empowered to um, think for the enterprise, act like an owner and do what's right for, you know, for the company. And so um, 
that balance on that spectrum is not as challenging for me with Nike because you can have that empowerment and that freedom to think and act while also being integrated into kind of like the day-to-day operational teams. And the second thing I would say is the more integrated you are in with those um, operational teams, you truly can empathize and understand the day-to-day problems and challenges that they're facing. And then your innovation can address that, right? And serve that while also serving the broader enterprise. And so um, now if you have a, a, a company that is maybe not as open to innovation or risk taking, you know, or doing things different, rocking the boat, I can see why you'd need to protect and you'd need to kind of peel off and create some space for that team to kind of operate freely, um, but then also have a very clear methodology and um, way for those teams to reintegrate with, you know, the operational teams to make sure that, you know, we're not off course, we're not doing the wrong thing. So I don't have a great answer for you there, but it is, I think, a struggle that, everybody on, you know, transformational initiatives, everybody is navigating and, and dealing with, and I don't think there will ever be a finish line there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we had the briefing call for this, um, we discussed, and, and I understood that you studied kinesiology um, when you were at university, and I wanted to, I guess the principles of kinesiology and the principles of digital transformation are not a million miles away from each other. They both underpin the human and the kinesiology example, the business and the digital and the digital technology transformation example. They both demonstrate symptoms of perhaps something that is more difficult and, and more underlying in terms of the, the challenges in the business or the individual. I wondered whether you look back and think that there's a direct line from your study of kinesiology that you were always destined to be doing a job in the digital transformation space or whether you feel it's a it's a coincidence if you like yeah it's it's an interesting question and connection point that i think you're picking up on and um i think you know for me in my my very early career you know and i kind of worked my way through schooling as i studied kinesiology and i was you know a personal trainer and i was uh you know, worked in, in operations also within kind of the health and fitness industry. And I don't know how much of this is kind of was built into the Greg Merrill, you know, operating system versus uh, came through practice and, and through life experience. But I have a, a natural interest in people and why things work the way they do. And if you look at each of us individually, we are, I'll say it again, a beautiful, complex, messy human being. And when you think about big companies, same thing, just different scale and a lot more moving parts. But one of the things that when I think about early on kinesiology, humans, the way we think and move and act, uh, my my interest there um, in my early career sort of led to me developing a, um, how do I put this, sort of um, a way to connect with people, Mm -hmm. right? And I think part of that speaks to just this 
underlying empathy that I bring everywhere I go. And no matter who I'm working with or talking with, uh, there's always a connection point between us. In fact, I, you know, I, I say, uh, meet me at the overlap. And what I mean by that, if you take a Venn diagram and you take Paul as a human being and Greg as a human being, um, there's a lot more overlap yes. than what doesn't overlap. And so, you know, my collective call to the world is let's meet each other at that overlap because we're going to realize that we have so much more in common. We are fighting the same battles daily and struggles. We have the same thoughts, worries, dreams, hopes, ambitions that if we met there and we saw each other in that overlap, the you know, the, the connected okay. humanity there, I think life would be would be very, very different. And so anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap that piece up um, to say that I think my early career has had a direct impact on my levels of success, frankly, because my ability to connect with people on an individual basis, which translates over into influence, and which is another important skill set to have, certainly working at a large, uh, you know, cross matrix company where you are operating through influence every single day that you show up to work. And the ability to connect with people, empathize with people, show up as your authentic, transparent, vulnerable self is ultimately provide that safe space where people want to work in. And I think that that's what I'll attribute to um, you know, a lot of the success that I've had in my career. So anyway, I know that answer kind of took a little bit of a journey there. So thanks for hanging with me. <laughs> no, no, that was, that's a great answer. I, I want to pick up a little bit more on the empathy. I wondered whether sometimes digital transformation projects are misunderstood and not embraced because those that lead them don't have the empathy for those that their digital transformation projects are going to impact on. There's just an assumption that sits underneath it, that everyone will understand why this is good for the business and why this is important for the business. But is there enough empathy and understanding those and the feelings and the concerns of those that that digital transformation project might impact upon? I think, you know, the easiest answer there is no. I, I don't think, I don't think, uh, I think we're, we're on a journey. Yeah. As, a, as a collective set of human beings, where as we learn more about human beings and our emotions, you know, in, in, our, in our house, you know, we have a saying, um, all feelings are okay, all emotions are okay, but not all behaviors are okay. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Very simple, right? And with, you know, three young daughters, I think uh, it's, it's helpful to kind of um, say, say here it, over in our home. But um, yeah, I think to answer your question, put simply, no, there's not a collective understanding of the empathy and the human side. And there's this spectrum of... Um, you know, IQ versus EQ. Again, yeah. I, I told you I'm going to come back to spectrums. And I think, you know, an, any organization really needs to put an equal importance on the IQ and the EQ. You know, we've all seen or heard of kind of the IQ heavy work cultures and companies where the goal is to complete your task at all costs, even if it means burning bridges, Mm -hmm. sacrificing others along the way, you, you get it done at all costs. And I think when you 
add in the balance of the EQ side, you know, the empathy, the softer skills brings in the elements of the teamwork and collaboration that are ultimately required to create a dynamic where success can be sustained year over year, right? It's not this time bound, get this done at all costs. It's a Hey, we're creating an organism that must think and work and act in, you know, in a symbiotic relationship so that we can have sustained success year over year. Yeah. Greg, we, we always end the discussion by asking our guests sort of one or two to leave one or two top tips that listeners can think about and go away and perhaps apply in their business. What would those be from your perspective when it comes to digital transformation? Perhaps for those businesses that are early in the stage or are looking to their next step in terms of their digital transformation journey. Uh, Perfect. I'll give you a couple here. So I think for starters, I'll make the case that trust and respect are at the foundation for any successful endeavor. Mm -hmm. Uh, And certainly when we talk about multi-year large-scale transformational initiatives, this trust and respect is an absolute requirement. And I'm not saying we have to love each other or even like each other, agree with each other for that matter, but without trust and respect, people will be left fighting their daily political political battles while the work withers away. The second one I would tell you, And I think this is a message more for kind of leaders, uh, but it it applies to everybody. Look for the truth tellers. Mm -hmm. If your company has a foundation of trust and respect, you'll get straight answers. If your company does not have that foundational uh, culture, you will have to work extra hard to build those relationships. And in larger companies, there's a huge number of layers and filters that information must pass through before it reaches the top having an unfiltered understanding of what's going on across your company is so important and yet so rare. And the last thing I'll leave you with is listen. Now more than ever, listen. Listen to those around you, listen to those above you, and most importantly, listen to those below you. Listen to your customers for your ultimate success will be based on whether they feel seen and heard by you. And once you've listened and you truly understand empathize, put yourself in their shoes and experience the world through their eyes. Three great tips. Um, One question on point two, how do you identify the truth tellers in an organization where trust has dissipated or disappeared? How do you, it almost seems a paradox to find a truth teller when trust isn't a foundational principle of that business at that point. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, in Gandhi's words, be the change you want to see in the world, right? Mm -hmm. And I think for for me, and while many of the ways that I show up on a daily basis may conflict with kind of broader, big company culture, I am incredibly transparent. I, you know, leading my values, even when they're hard, is is really a a core measure of success for myself. And so I think about, um, communication, vulnerability, empathy, transparency, listening, listening, having hard conversations, giving and receiving feedback. That is how I show up on a daily basis. And because of that, the law of attraction is I serve as that truth teller for others, even though it, it may get me fired someday, 
that's an important value that I need to live even when it's hard. And because of that, I attract others that want to be real and raw and unfiltered and honest. And so mm -hmm. I would say, if you don't have truth tellers in your circles, maybe you need to think about how you are showing up on a daily basis, because ultimately when you act that way, you will attract those to you. And only when you, when you show up that way, will you, will you get that? Greg, I've, um, I've learned a huge amount today. Thank you so much for your time. You are welcome. Thank you. I love, again, I love what you're doing. I'm so honored to be here with you, Paul. And um, I look forward to seeing you again real soon. Thank you. And I'm going to take the, uh, the feelings and behaviors advice and, uh, and take it back to my family as well. I think aside from all the business wisdom you've imparted today, that's um, something else I'm going to take away and use personally, I think. A great phrase. Perfect. Love it. Thank you so much, Greg. Have a great day. Take care, Paul. Bye. If you've enjoyed the conversation with Greg today, then please just go to principlesandleadership.com and check out the rest of our conversations with industry leaders and entrepreneurs, and also the new PL to the Points, our Friday 10-minute analysis of our weekly conversations. And please do also take a moment to rate us or review us. It all helps with our ratings and our rankings. Please also don't hesitate to pop back again on Friday for the new PL to the Point, where we will break down and analyze our conversation with Greg today. Finally, I'm Paul, host of the new PL. Thank you so much for listening again today, and I hope you return soon.